I do it to represent every freaking kid, boy or girl, that's been thrown away for their, from their family, that every kid that's been poor, every kid that's grown up in a boy's home or, or orphanage, every kid that is made fun of because his teeth are rotten and he can't freaking can't afford a dentist, every kid that grew up in a shitty school with no freaking sports programs, any kid like that, I want to show them that they can do anything they want to do, that they can be at the top and they can influence and empower people globally. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. Here in the good old US of A, we take great pride in honoring all of those that have sacrificed so much to ensure our freedoms. That's why it's only fitting that we welcome back our own personal hero, Marine, master of motivation, and dear friend, Rudy Reyes. His patriotism goes down real smooth, kind of like an ice-cold yingling that I will be having this Memorial Weekend. Here it is, episode 614. Hey, Power Nation. Summer is weeks away. And you got to get that body right. Now, whether it's to pack on a little bit of muscle to fill out those pants and fill out that T-shirt or to lean out and show off those abs by popping off that shirt, we got you covered. Now, the reason we like to start busting our ass now is so that we have a little bit of margin of error so that you can cut loose and not feel guilty. So what I want you to do is go check out one of Power Athletes Nutrition Protocols. We got a leaning, we got a bulking, we got a keto, and we also have a performance protocol for those of you that need a little bit of extra attention are really trying to dial it in so that you look like a million bucks come summer to learn more head to powerathletehq.com forward slash nutrition to find out which protocol is right for you and we're going to give you an extra 20 percent off at checkout with the code eat the week 20 percent. yeah that's all caps e-a-t-t-h-e-w-e-a-k at checkout dude sounds good to me now you got your mission you know what we're expecting Go get it. See ya. You know how I am living. Yes. I just I just finished my last muscle up like five minutes ago or three minutes ago. So uh, anyway, yeah, here, here we go, brothers. Let's get set up. This is fantastic. Oh, no, I can't. This is uh, fantastic. We're so excited. Okay. Yeah. Rudy, you're back okay. to pulling. You, you're back to pull-ups, man. We talked on the phone. I'm excited I am, for you. I am, brother. Um, you know, the, how I got injured is like probably how we all get injured. We fall in love with doing something that really, you know, something about the exercise, something about the protocol, something about the poundages, something about it we love. We love so much that that it's just uh, it's like having your favorite flavor of ice cream or your favorite comic book artist, you're always going to follow them. So you, I always incorporate these movements into my work. And one day you get older and you don't recover as fast as you used to. Uh, I got COVID and I had it once before and it wasn't so bad. I got the second strain. And um, because I had such a great attitude, I continued to train while being sick. And that uh, I don't recommend anybody does that, by the way. <laughs> so uh, uh, I recommend some movement, but I was actually still doing some body weight training, thinking I could burn this thing out. Uh, eventually, I crashed down bed, bedridden for three weeks. 
And the dehydration caused my hip to flare up. Like every injury I had in Iraq and Afghanistan and in kickboxing, every single, what would you call it? A discrepancy in the tissue or nervous system. It, it showed up. And, um, uh, I, if it was not for Jade struck nursing me and being patient because I cocooned, I put on a pair of black sweats and I never left the bedroom and, uh, I, I couldn't walk really. So I, I'd have to crawl to the bathroom and I started falling inward with like embarrassment, shame, anger at myself for not seeing this coming. And um, so fast forward to uh, Winter Strong. Jade and I were supposed to be at Winter Strong and Jade is going to be teaching classes there. And we had to cancel because I still couldn't get out of bed and Jade had to be here. Um, um, mobility maker, Dana Santis and her husband, Donovan, beautiful people, dear family members of mine. I know through the family of strength, instead of going to the first day of winter strong, they came here to, to my home and worked on my body and worked on some movement because I was really crippled. So I started building myself back. So a month after COVID, I started doing some light work. To me, it was very heavy, a hundred pushups at one time was the hardest thing I'd done in I don't know how long, just doing a hundred pushups or, or taking the, getting the groceries from the car and bringing them up. So then I started getting stronger. Then I started getting stronger. And then I started fucking flying on the rings, dinos, dinos, strict, one arm out, one arm out. The next day I couldn't even, you know, I couldn't even unscrew my dip lid to get my dip holy song so i've been battling that about six freaking weeks and i've called all the homies i've called the jeff nichols i called the Derek woodskis i called the burt sorens um a buddy of mine named maverick from maverick Fieldhouse, air force legend freaking kettlebell brother i was asking and everyone's like well rudy it's probably tendonitis you've obviously overdone the tissue i called my doctor i've been slamming it with bpc 157 and I've been on my Epamorlin, doing my peptides every night. Um, and it's helped. But really what's helped the most is um, accepting that my body is changing finally. You know, I'm 50 now. I've never felt age, brothers. And, and I've just never felt it. I've never, ever felt it. This is the first time I felt age. And, and it doesn't bum me out. But... I have to be, I have to be present for it if I want to learn to grow through it, you know? So that's what I've been through. COVID twice. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, now you're in a position to give back. So maybe not with your own personal fitness, but you're in an awesome opportunity over there in the UK, at yes. least shown in the UK, but all over the world to, to help guide others and really challenge them to, with their fitness. Yeah. Uh, Rudy, let's dive into this a little bit. Yeah. I mean, um, sure, you know, brother. Uh, Harry, who does our brandings in the UK and, uh, he's like, dude, the, the show is a hit. Like <laughs> he was so excited about it. And, uh, the only way I know about it was, uh, following your Instagram. So oh. can we get into it a little bit? Yeah, we can. And I, I'm glad that you brought that up because of uh, that, that you, your teammate is in the UK. This is the biggest show in the UK and in Europe and around the world, the biggest military show. Um, it is so rad. First of all, the title's SAS. Anybody out there in the military culture knows that the SAS is the first professional special operations force. 
And um, they, they were developed in World War II. They were doing guerrilla tactics and counter to guerrilla tactics, hit and run ambushes all through North Africa. And then they did all kinds of freaking uh, uh, espionage oriented and blending, hiding and deceiving surreptitious insert stuff throughout World War II in, in Europe as well. Uh, in the jungles, they've been everywhere. And our selection processes here in America are based on theirs. Um, my teammates, Billy Billingham, he, um, first, he is a command sergeant major of the SAS, a freaking sergeant major, 22 years in the SAS, 10 or 11 years in the Paris first, joined at 16, freaking kidnapped twice, POW twice in Ireland and in Kosovo. I mean, this dude has been there, done that, has the motherfucking T-shirt and the funniest cat. He's got a one-liner for everything. And then I call him the Super Hulk. The Super Hulk. He is definitely a power athlete. Definitely. His name's Foxy, Jason Fox. This motherfucker is the Rudy Reyes size up. 6'2", <laughs> 220. I mean, and of course he looks, I mean, straight up like the freaking Hulk. Also, cardiovascularly, uh, one of the most fittest men I've ever met. He always leads the runs. He always leads the force march with the packs. And he always doubles and triples the weight himself and crushes everybody. And he is no spring chicken either. He's 46. So they're very famous in the UK uh, as uh, their, their military heroes, their superheroes. They do talks. They, they write books. Um, uh, they're magnificent. Uh, then I brought on another American with uh, with me on the production, Remy Adelecki. I mean, he looks like a a masculine fucking a hyper masculine badass version of Denzel Washington, like Denzel in his baddest freaking role ever, with another twenty pounds of muscle. And that's Remy Adelecki. Uh, 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 um, he emigrated from. Congo or no, no, Nigeria. And he came from a very tough background. His father was assassinated, made it to America and built himself up from there. So the premise of the show is we bring in civilians. I did two seasons. I did civilian, I did celebrity. We bring in civilians that come from a very tough background of trauma in one way or the other. We've had men and women on there, you know, um, survivors of, of of sexual abuse and rape, survivors of um, of, uh, of neglect and uh, orphans like myself, um, people that have overcome cancer, um, recruits that have had their spouses um, kill themselves and find and find them hanging there. I mean, these people. We have we have um, a men that have come from prison and are looking to get another shot and want to prove to themselves. They, They've conquered, uh, they've conquered these demons and obstacles and that they are the best version of themselves. And we use this military um, selection. We, it's kind of a bedrock, uh, a framework to test character and to show human development. So it's a human revelation show masquerading as a gut check military selection program. It is fantastic. It's on the seventh season. I'm all over the UK media right now, brothers. I'm 
I'm all, all over the tabloids bigger than shit. <laughs> I had no idea how scandalous. You're saying, uh, and you're surprised you're, by this? You're bigger brother, than Chris I, I had no idea how scandalous they are. They bring, they're putting in pictures of, uh, of me and me and my wife, Jade, in California, except they're using the pictures from here. Uh, and, and I mean, they're just all over me like a cheap suit, making fun of my hair. And that, that just because my hair is luxurious, you do not have to be jealous and be hate, hateful about it. And then they're talking about my beard and, and how much hair dye is on my pillow. This is all natural. You guys have known me for years and years. I am Mexican. Listen up, UK people. We have Mexican Americans here in the USA. We have different shades. We have Texas where we have sun all freaking year. So, you know, get used to the brown guy. Get used to the brown guy with the dark hair. Um, so it's the show is now on its sixth episode this Sunday, and it's the final episode. It's really fantastic. We have celebrity after this. I am leaving in four days back to Jordan to do. Now this is what's so badass. FX Fox has picked up this show, so now I'm doing SAS Who Dares Wins America with oh, wow. American recruits, baby. Oh wow. Brothers, you guys have been there. You you remember when I didn't have a freaking dime to my name. When I had to catch rides, you guys would have to drop me off places. I didn't even have a I used to take the bus. Remember a couple times, like I took the bus from, from Dallas up to Kansas City to go home. I mean, you remember the lean times and the struggles I used to be in. To finally be here now, seven, eight, ten years later, um, I'm, I'm very thankful, and and I thank every one of you all that helped me through this journey, dude. Uh, let's get into the show a little bit. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm kind of fascinated. Like, I mean, obviously, I know the selection process, having worked with sure. um, you know guys in the deal, but like, let's take it through. Like, uh, like, how do the wow. shows work? Is it kind of a survivor? Do how, how do people get voted on, voted off? Like, yes, like I okay. love to get in the nitty gritty of it. Sure, brother. You know what? This is what's so rad. There are no retakes. Once once we start, it's on. Um, there are no, um, there's nothing contrived. Whatever is happening organically, we, the instructors, the DS, we're called DS, directing staff. Uh, we run it just like we've run every one of our training programs, whether it's Scout Sniper, SAS, Recon Seals. We first put them through a punishing physical regimen and then teach military discipline, specifically in Jordan, it's water. It's water, it's water, it's water. Um, many of these uh, brothers and sisters from the UK have never been in an arid or hot environment. I mean, you all in Austin, you understand what I mean. Imagine uh, if everybody grew up like in Michigan and then they go down to the Valley, South Texas in, on a July, uh, in July, and that's the first time they've been there and now they've got to do football camp. What would they mm -hmm. do? They'd fucking fall like they'd drop like flies. So Dude, that's what our people do. Years ago, we were in the UK. Uh, this is when I was um, in the NFL. Uh, one of my buddies lived in. Uh, he lived in London, and we flew over before we were going to Amsterdam. And they had a heat wave, and uh -huh. it was eighty-five degrees in the UK. <laughs> and like, dude, they didn't have any air conditioning, and the walls are so thick because they're used to the cold. Uh, sure. Like people were sleeping outside underneath sheets because it was yeah. so hot in their house. Like they were freaking out. Like. I, I've never seen that much skin. Just another day at the office. Yeah, and I like cruise in. I'm like, what are you guys freaking out about, right? Uh, but it and just, yeah, it like they're used to it. something. You get it. They were um, 
So our temperatures are getting up to 110, 115. So it sounds and like a South Texas day in, on the uh, just like an average, yeah, an average <laughs> Tuesday in McAllen, Texas, right? Well, and also Kansas City is one of the hottest places I've ever Isn't lived. It's so freaking humid and Dude. hot, 100 degrees every day of the whole summer. Dude, uh, Kansas City, I mean, we would play, uh, you know, we'd get back from training camp in August. You know, we go to River Falls, come back, and it was like 100 plus degrees every yes. day, if and, not hotter. Kansas City is hot. attacks 100% humidity. It's lush with greenery. The, the trees are sweating. The river is sweating. The people are sweating. Just wet, bro. And when you're doing that wrestling, when you're doing that freaking two-a-days in football camp, in a sense, that intensity is what we start off with with SAS. So we try to crush bodies the first day or two so and is, separate is, some is, uh, Not to catch you off, but uh, yes, uh, uh, j- just for a little bit of clarity. So this this the show in the United States is going to be called SAS as well? Yeah, SAS Who Dares Wins. And be- I think my... I think my British brothers are going to shine so much. Their accents and their culture will really pop. When they brought me over there to the UK, they're like, holy smokes, we got the freaking Wolverine over here from, you know, Kansas City, Missouri and freaking McAllen, Texas. They didn't even understand what the hell I was saying. You know what I mean? But they <laughs> Dude, love I, it now. I can't even imagine thing. them dropping Rudy Reyes in the middle of the UK. <laughs> With like one without a prim and proper, their uh, like their media, the whole deal. It must have been like dropping a fucking nuclear weapon in the middle of a town. It totally was, brother. It totally was. But you know what? I won hearts and minds very quickly. And I don't mean with recruits, my staff there, my my shooters. We have on rig with hidden cameras on the command post. And the reason why it's all tiny hidden cameras is so that the recruits do not um, can become themselves because they're not being invaded yeah. by cameras. Uh, uh, the the porta johns are open. There's an open shower. They're living in a bivouac situation, just like you would uh, in the field in, in the Marine Corps or, or in the military. Now, when we go off rig, running the sand dunes, kilo casting, leaping out of the helicopters at 20 nautical miles an hour at, uh, uh, 20 feet above the freaking Red Sea uh, or putting on the boxing gloves and freaking headgear and going at it full force, men against women, women against men. It doesn't matter. You don't get to choose your enemy. The off-rig crew are all fit, super committed. They dress in camis so that they blend in. And it's just so realistic because everyone's doing the real work. So first we slay them with PT. After we slay them with PT, we start teaching them some military skills. We're looking at military bearing and discipline. Um, anybody that pops off to us, that is not what we want. So we'll slaughter you more. Uh, <laughs> and once you're on the bubble, once you've been skylined and you've got four DS all over you like cheap, uh, a cheap suit, most always they, they crumble. Sometimes they recruits learn something and then then come back better uh it's really amazing we we have them doing um shoot no shoot drills in a uh combat town with actors and simunitions and explosions many of these people have never even held a firearm in the uk people don't even know you know people have never even had their hands on a firearm we have them um 
carrying each other in in firemen's carries and and carrying logs and uh, any kind of physical duress in which you have to work as an individual and work as a team. This is what we do. And slowly but surely, the truth is, most people just crack. These civilians have not been, or, or the celebrities, they've not been indoctrinated. I would have cracked too, I imagine, if I would have just from from first Civ Div out here on on uh, you know back on the block, go right to recon. I wouldn't know what the fuck to do. I had to be indoctrinated. I had to be brainwashed in a good way. Well, in a way that kept me alive in combat. I had to be brainwashed, and my individuality had to be completely crushed out before I could do this stuff. So we're throwing these people you know, right into the freaking frying pan. And most just give up. Most says, this is not for me. I'm too exhausted. I'm too mentally exhausted and everything I'm doing, I'm doing wrong. And, um, and so we have females too. Remember, I've never really fought in a, in a commandos, uh, in a commando, um, way in a, in a, in a way that I'm fighting side by side with women. I've never had any women in my unit. I've never seen women in any of the special operations unit units. And now it's starting to change. So we had women there and I didn't know how they would fare. The, the packs are the same. The missions are the same. They have to do everything the same. Uh, I was so very impressed. I mean, the, like the women in combat thing is super interesting. And uh, we were dealing with it a bunch uh, when we were, you know, working with the 18th Airborne Corps in the military, especially with like the uh, ACFT. And my yes. contention was always like, look at Israel. I mean, the yes. Israeli, you know, like the Israeli women and the uh, the lady in the the women in the Israeli military was those chicks are fucking badass, and um, yes. they've obviously held into a certain standard. Why is it that they're considered equals, and why is it that we don't have the same? I mean, it, it you know, you're like, exactly right, John. You know? You're exactly right. You know what? I remember when I was in the Marine Corps, and it was military wide. There was two standards. The women had to run slower and the women did not have to do pull-ups or not the same amount of pull-ups and they had to run slow. Are you talking so about whenever, in the Marines? Yeah, the Marine Corps. Oh, yeah, I thought I even think Marine was, women had to do pull-ups. They did, but less, less for a perfect score. Male Marines will always think less of female Marines because physically they're held at a different standard. And I think that is what was so important about this program. There is one standard, one standard only. Um, these female, these female recruits, these women, I was so freaking impressed. First of all, they're small. And what was the biggest factor was this. When they failed at a task, which they failed oftentimes, they did not let it de uh, define their entire human character. You know what I'm saying? They accepted their ass chewing or beat down. And then they just shook it off and, and drove on. The men, while we're doing repelling, where you, you, you know, somebody's life is in your hands and it, it's all very stress oriented stuff. The men, anytime they failed, it was so, so hard for them to not feel shame and not feel an overburdened sense of responsibility. And over time, I believe that's what weeded them out. I will tell you what, we're on the last episode. There's only four women left. All the men are gone. Oh, wow. wow. Fuck. So wait, All so the last episode, the only people that are left recruits are women? Four, yes. And and they're from, they're from get this, 410, 
410 to 53. Are they all super studs? Yes. But they're four one, the smallest one's four foot ten. Tallest one's five foot three. And we've had these muldoons smashing each other in the face, shooting and running through freaking uh, um, uh, you know uh, terrorist training camps, carrying logs up sand dunes. <laughs> and it was these women just refused to give up. Now, it, there's also something else so special about this, you all. I cannot wait for you to see it. You can see these programs on Amazon, the ones before I got involved, and it's worth your time. It is incredible. They're in Argentina. They're in uh, freaking Scotland. They're in the jungles of, of, of Ecuador. They're, uh, they're in Morocco. We always go to places that we fought. So we snatch our recruits up towards the end with a raid force and a chase force with dogs, weapons, utilizing our host nation militaries. Snatch them up, bag them, tag them, put hands on them, throw them into the gulag, and then boom, um, uh, sensory deprivation, uh, blackened out goggles, horrible sounds of babies crying and people screaming, and then stress positions while I bring in professional military, special operations, and MI6 uh, interrogators that work them like a freaking barbecue sauce dripped rib. And they work them. And they work them. And they don't never know when they're going to freaking get done with this. And then they throw them in the drink. They will do some water freaking torture. They will bring the pain. And that is what killed the last of the men on this on this last program. The only ones that continued to stay in the fight were the four women really fantastic. Wow. Mm-hmm. So wait, so, so you, you're bringing in actual like seer type guys, like, uh, yeah. you know, like legitimate people that know about, you know, yes. mental warfare and being able to break yes. individuals and they brought them in and fucking broke all the men and the women still yep. stayed in the fight. I'm into you're watch. exactly right, brother. And these, I, I learned from, from these teammates of mine. So the umpire, he has still got his top secret clearance. You don't ever see his face. The other um, uh, interrogators have uh, different names and they're just incredible. It really brought me back being a, uh, the chief instructor and working side by side again with these super pro people. Man, it, it made, this is what it made me feel, Tex and John. Only in America and only in the UK do we care so much about our men and women fighting that we will train them for the absolute worst day of their life. And that we care about them to bring thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars of training to put them in in conditions so that if heaven forbid, they are ever caught behind enemy lines, they can somehow survive. Really beautiful. It seems barbaric on the outside. To me, it is completely humanistic and, and compassionate when you peel the layers back. Really, really profound stuff. Wow. What is the cash prize of winning this? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, the cash wh- prize. The cash prize, brother, is a freaking handshake and a hug. He said, you rate to come and, and carry a machine gun for us if we tell you to go ahead and freaking set up a position. Hey, oh. you have the raw material to maybe be one of us. That's the prize. 
Wow. So it's not like Survivor where you get a million dollars. Well, that's no. if I was getting waterboarded, I'd just be focused on the mill. But now it's <laughs> I get I get drafted. Nah, but uh, this it's is an interesting fun. thing, and 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 we we saw this in the NFL. If the only reason that you're playing is for money, yeah. dudes, fucking, uh, they get weeded out real quick because it has to be about more about. It's got to be about the pride. Yeah, yeah it's got to be about that bigger thing. Um, you're gonna go all the way because you know. Think about this, John. When you were there, think about as a. I'm sure you were such a stellar player for so long in your youth. And then you're when you were a young man and now you're breaking into the world class. The idea that John Wellborn, Shoto Khan and an athlete and and freaking uh, uh, um, super uh, intellect, but now is at a world level or has an opportunity to be the world level. The idea of being at that caliber and that you're transcending any things that may have been limitations or, and especially with athletics, we can transcend our socioeconomic. And for someone, and for you to think I can be with, I can be with this thing that has lived before me, that existed before I was born, has created champions. And when I'm old or, and when I pass, there will still be champions and it's called the NFL. You're, you're going to do it. You're either going to do everything you can for that or you're not the kind of guy for the NFL and you're going to find your way out. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing for you guys. I mean, uh, yeah, same I mean, thing. Uh, obviously you guys aren't doing it for the paycheck. I mean, no. you know, like, like the I money's thought, not that good. John, I thought the money was fucking amazing. I, I was, um, I Dude, was a, um, we've I was had a, this conversation. I remember when you yeah, got paid, I, I, you were I like, tables. Oh, yeah, I bust tables. I waited tables and I did construction demolition. And in Kansas City, you know that freaking work is hard, especially in the cold and especially yep. in the heat. Um, I had jump pay, danger pay, demolition pay, dive pay. I thought I was balling like freaking Wiz Khalifa, dog. I made risking my life and killing the enemy and and fucking doing shit that I still have to pay for mentally this day. I was doing it for like fifty five thousand a year. I thought it, it was the most incredible amount of money I'd ever made. And, and, uh, and it went to a little condo so we could have a decent condo to live in my ex-wife and I, uh, in, in California, I thought, uh, and by the way, I still believe with that framework, it was incredible. I was promoted faster. I made extra money and I got to be with the best guys in the world, but you're right. It wasn't for the money. It had nothing to do with the money it had to do with the pride and the candy and the candy on your chest, you know? Well, I want to talk about training and this, sure. yeah, this show sounds awesome. So do you put people in a position to train for it or is it, they, they know what they're getting into when they show up and they better be prepared. It's been established for seven, eight years now. Um, people try their best to be prepared and we have some very physically fit people. You all, that's not, what, as you all know, especially when you're trying out for an illustrious team or an illustrious community there, there will be eventually there comes a time when the body no longer matters because the body is exhausted. The body is exhausted. And then, and then eventually the brain's exhausted. There is that ephemeral, you know, quasi spiritual thing that comes out that, that refuses uh, that you that will refuse to let you quit or give you some kind of, um, you know, emotional strength to keep going. Uh, everyone's fit when they show up. 
after pain, uh, you know, pain, misery, and suffering, those only those that want to be there stay. Only those that want to be there stay. Yeah. How long is the competition? It goes two to three weeks oh. every day, 20 hour days. Oh, that's right. And I also interrogate them every night. Oh, so it's 20 hour <laughs> days, two to three weeks. So, I mean, like, it's not as if they're in this selection process for six months. I, I mean, that's what I said. Shit, brother. I was a student going from selection, from boot camp, and then I, uh, school of infantry. And then I was the honor grad. So I got a chance to, you know, I got promoted, everything. They put me on camp guard. They fucked me even more. They put me in the shittiest detail, trying to keep all these privates and PFCs from running to Mexico and giving up in the Marine Corps. You know, this is the 90s. And I lived in the squad bay and did uh, relief in places. And I just did push-ups and pull-ups and uh, ran in place in the squad bay for months. And when recon came through, the corporal of the guard said, I've got a young man that's motivated and I think he'd be an asset to you guys. So he made some drug deals back back channel and I got to go try out. I, I made it through the tryout and then I went to selection. So I had a, an amazing career, but my first I mean- three years, but yeah, how long is uh, actual years. like like how long was your selection? My selection was three and a half months. Three yeah. and a half months of, yeah. of that's just recon. That's just recon. That's your basic. Then you go to combat dive another two months. Then you go to scout sniper another three months. Then you go to jump, which is another you know just a, just maybe a month. Then you go to your demolition package, your uh, um, assault climbing package, your raids package. Helicopters, uh, armored vehicles, uh, small boats. I was in training for four years straight, and that's when September 11th happened, and I happened to be on the ship um, in the Pacific, and I went straight into fighting Pakistan and Afghanistan. I was a nobody for four years. I was a nobody for four years. Well, I I'm mean, motivated. Uh, I was a motivated nobody for four years in the best unit in the Marine Corps. So, I mean, these guys, it's not as if they're going through months of selection. It's two weeks that they, I mean, yes. but, they, but, they're, all, but they're all, yeah, but, but also, I mean, they're people off of the street. I mean, uh, like, are yes. they applying for the show? They are, I believe. I think the casting's amazing. Bro, brother, I believe thousands apply every season. Wow. Thousands. Um, it, it's, and, you know, some people get, oh my gosh, John, yes. They play this fucking game called murder ball. Oh, yeah. They use a tire for the ball. It's in the middle of a ravine on two sand dunes. You, you, go, smash, uh, grabbing the freaking tire, smashing each other, getting hit from behind to bring the tire up to the other side. No pads, no nothing, fucking smashing each other. Of course, we've got concussions. We've got broken ribs. A lot of people leave the show because they're injured, mm. obviously. Amazing. I was so impressed with the tough. These people, we turned them into wild fucking dogs and then trained to attack dogs within a week. They were, we, we stripped them of their humanity, turned them into wild dogs, and then trained fucking German shepherds or Malinois. After about a week, they were fucking Malinois. It was awesome. Wow. So you'll uh, see when you see how, it, you're going to love it, guys. So, so how long was the show going on before they decided to drop the thermonuclear bomb that is really raised on them? Brother, it was so successful. Seven, I think it's going seven years, about wow. seven years. And I, um, 
to anybody out there that wants to know secrets about living um, a hyper color life, secrets about transcending your circumstance or your beginnings. Um, take every meeting and have an, and give your very best at every opportunity that feels creative, feels emotional, and something that you feel deeply about. Give everything you've got to it, even if you're exhausted, even if there's no money, even if even if you have every other reason to say, you know what, man, I have other things to do. I could sleep, or or I could work out, or or I, uh, you know, nobody's paying me, and you know, people have already taken so much from me anyway. I don't need to give anymore. Keep giving, keep fucking giving. So these documentary filmmakers reached out to me about five years ago, and they were um, they were going to do a project about uh, it was called Once Upon a Time in Iraq. These are the same Emmy Award or BAFTA winning documentary uh, filmmakers that made that film about the Aleppo, about the, oh, yeah. the medics. Yeah. Same people. All right. Okay. You want under uh, from underneath of Aleppo is Iraq. The reason why the, the struggles in Syria happened is the fallout of ISIS and the invasion of Iraq, and then what was what was happening before the invasion. So he decided to go deeper and make a film called Once Upon a Time in Iraq. These men had meetings with me all around the world, wherever I was. I was still contracting sometimes. I mean, they, they, they met me in like freaking rough bars in New York City with some of the guys that you know, some of my contingent that's up there, like Matty DeMeo. Um, you know, I was still freaking strung out oftentimes. I mean, this is about five, seven years ago. Um, and they just kept finding me around the world just to talk with me, just to talk with me and become my friends and, and, and understand me and me understand them. Then about four years ago, I was in New York City and they had a studio. They brought me in and then they shot. They didn't shoot anything with me for the years before. They sat me down and we shot about the invasion. Well, this program, uh, this program has doctors from Iraq, it has civilians, it has enemy, it has commandos like myself. I'm representing America. They called me Rambo, you know, they were, and then we've got statesmen. We, we've got many perspectives in this eight hour long documentary. Uh, it wins the BAFTA. It becomes renowned around the world. Channel 4 and Minnow Films SAS sees me. I had no idea this conversation happened. And Sophie uh, says, "I get me Rudy Reyes. Get <laughs> me Rudy Reyes. And it was all because these men that did this documentary were good people. And the subject matter was something I felt was important. So even though there was no money and even though I didn't, it wasn't about the money, just like before with the NFL, it wasn't about the money. Recon wasn't about the money. But, but if it stirs you in your heart, do it. No matter what, do it. No, and so uh, they saw it, and even though they uh, the show was successful, whatever, they felt they had to spice it up, and they drop you right in like a fucking nuclear weapon. <laughs> and, uh, dude, yeah. I Rudy love Bob. it. Uh, no, it, it's funny. I mean, because, uh, you know, America is so soaked with fucking bullshit. 
But yeah. uh, um, Harry, who's in the UK, is like, dude, this show is is it's everywhere. It's on every bus. It's everywhere. And he's yeah. like, Rudy is a massive star now in the UK. <laughs> and it's because you're like the anti, uh, like UK person. You got yeah. a tan. You got cool hair. Love yeah, you. I'm all yeah. heart, baby. I'm well, all and, heart. Well, and 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 you are, and, and you you've always worn your heart on your sleeve. Whenever somebody asks yeah. me about Rudy Reyes, I'm like, what you see is what you get. He wears his heart on his sleeve for a culture that tends to be very guarded. Yeah, very withdrawn. Um, you know, I said some things like, uh, like I didn't understand even. Uh, there's so many different English accents. Some of them are very difficult to, to understand. But I started picking things up, and uh, there was a, there's, there's an episode where. The two teams, we've got them in two elements. They have to cover down on their um, uh, broken down, dug in vehicles and get them out of this kill zone because they have radios and mission essential equipment and get it over to the safe zone across the border. The tires are flat. Um, it, it, it is uh, it is a nightmare and it tests leadership. The teams need to be able to communicate and dig and push this thing out while incoming explosions and everything. And they're not working hard enough. They're very tired. This is maybe the second weekend. They're just not working. You can see they're breaking down mentally. Like they're not committing everything they have anymore. They're becoming defeatist. It's a downward spiral. I said, listen, motherfuckers, put some fucking dick scan on it. Nobody knew what the fuck. They're like dick skin. <laughs> you know, dick skin. Like all you guys, all you do is jack off. So use your fucking hands and put some dick skin on that vehicle and get it fucking moving. You know, the English went crazy. Like the production people are like, holy shit, this is freaking <laughs> television gold. You know what I mean? Oh, it was incredible. It was just incredible. Also, on the other side was this when I would interrogate and have to do the mirror rooms with the with the um, uh, recruits, I'm talking with people that have survived a terrorist attack where their mother or their sister was machine gunned or blown up in the UK. Mm. Or, or, or a, a woman who survived a child shooting, uh, a school shooting, people that have survived the deaths of their loved ones or, or uh, a, a mass, massive abuse. Rudy wanted if he can just put my hand across the table and pull him in and hug these people and fight, you know, I had to fucking hold back tears. I wanted to hug them and say, you can fucking do this. You know, you're fucking amazing to even be here, but I had to maintain that military discipline and, and continue to give them tough love. It made me feel so good at the end of the program, the four that made it to the end to be able to open up my heart and say, I am just so proud of you all. And you all have shown me such grit and such courage and such character. I'm in awe of you young people here. I mean, I was just fucking in awe of these people. Yeah. That's great. Dude, it sounds amazing. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, it sounds it like a much better show than Survivor and much better than Biggest Loser. Yes. You know? different, a different sensibility, like you said about the English too, or the UK people, Europeans, they're more guarded. But they're also, I mean, this is just what my experience, because I've been working with UK people a long time in production. Um, Generation Kill produced and directed by British and Scottish. And uh, uh, then I did Apocalypse Man. It was Bear Grylls people. Uh, all of their production people were from the BBC. Uh, I've worked with Brits a lot. 
and then of course work with them in the military. They're more refined. In general, they're better educated than us. Truly, in a world, uh, in a worldview, basically, and uh, and at the high level, they're just better educated. They're an older kingdom. They've been through as a culture more than we have in America, and it shows when you work with them. Uh, it shows they bring a depth that Americans in general do not have. Uh, I think that was one of the most pleasant things for me to be with such a depth of people in production. Every single person there, whether they're running edit bays or they're uh, they're in charge of transport or admin or my cameramen uh, and women, camera women, they were all so deep and so refined. Um, it was just a pleasure to be with them. It's very different than American television, very different than American. I mean, there's no secret that I've never really hit it big in America. It's obvious to me now, especially I'm 50 years old. It's very obvious. Why? Americans do not possess the depth to appreciate me. I mean, you do, but look, you guys are extremists. Well, well, dude, the way it works is when you push out, uh, like I, I call us living on the fringe. So yes. when you push out to the fringe, it's one degree of separation. Like, I mean, the amount of people, no, I mean, think, right. think about it. Like, You're I mean, right. it's, it's like, uh, you know, we show up to summer strong and I meet Neil Kamamura and we have mutual friends, oh, he, you know, he, you know, oh, I, I know Rudy Reyes and this, and it's like these people where it's like, it's sure. one degree of separation. Uh, you know, you can call people and if they don't know the person, then they're not on the fringe. Totally. You know? They've not done that self work and pushed themselves to the extremity, uh, to, to find that goal. The, 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 the nectar of wisdom, the nectar of purpose, because of our purpose, brothers, that's why we have such rich lives. Look how much we love our, our family, our, 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 our wives, our children, our athlete and warrior brothers, how much we appreciate. Uh, you know, you, are you driving a Bronco? What was that kick-ass independent or Bronco that you uh, had? No, it was a Blazer. Yeah, Blazer. A, yeah. So yeah. we appreciate every little thing, every little thing we appreciate. Um, I believe that I was just not mainstream enough for America, really. Well, well, um, Rudy, let's just set the stage. So when I went to go pick up Rudy at a house in Austin, just for some, Power Athlete Radio for, episode two hundred and fifteen. <laughs> yes. So I pick up in a an eighty six M ten ten oh nine, which is a military blazer that I had. So I pick so Rudy bad. up. Rudy, Rudy strolls out wearing a, a no shirt, no shoes. He's wearing a pair of women's capri pants because they fit better. <laughs> right. 10 in the morning, sunglasses, drinking yeah, a tall boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they look great. Uh, looks amazing. <laughs> no shoes, drinking a tall boy, comes in, gets in the car. Look over, doesn't say anything. Fucking hit it. Uh, we get there. I mean, that was uh, like the mood was set at that moment. Oh, brother, and, I, love uh, you so much. I wouldn't expect anything less. <laughs> well, Rudy, but like, isn't there an issue? And I, I get into this too, Talk to me. where people are so judgmental of like yes. all of the like, I, I you know, like, uh, could you call it the um, uh, the flair? You know, I was like, thinking the like same all the stuff about flair that is Rudy Reyes. And yes. like, you know, like I see people like they see the hair, the beard, maybe, you know, you're wearing some silkies or this or, you yeah. know, sleeve a shirt, you know, and your energy is so infectious that I feel like one, they can't match the energy. So they just fucking leave 
or they're like find real ways to cast stones at the flare when I'm like, dude, uh, you know, he's got sure. a cool scarf. Like, who cares about the flamboyance? Sure, brother. Like, if anything, why the fuck should we all like be an individual? And I'll tell you, it's just the energy that I uh, do whenever I see you. It, the energy is always so I know. good. And it's we uh, get so fired up in such an honest <laughs> and beautiful and creative way. We were at the TRX thing and, yeah. you know, it's freaking straps. <laughs> and I was getting so fun. I was happy that my freaking power athlete brothers are there. And we were stoked. I mean, the stoke level off the fucking charts. Of course, summer strong, winter strong, power athlete. I will never forget the power athlete symposium when you when I was blessed that you asked me to come speak. Still and one of our favorite presentations. They, brother, I put my soul into it. Yeah. Man. Oh yeah, it's on YouTube. <laughs> all all I remember is I'm sitting next to Woodsky. I was sitting next to between Woodsky and uh, um, and Bert, and Woodsky turns to me and he goes, "If there's a spaceship outside, we're all going and getting on." <laughs> oh, <laughs> and I was like, "Sure enough, if we walk you know, out, there's a spaceship. We're all going." Well, you you all are such intellects and artists in the space of human performance, and it's hard to explain to someone that's not into fitness and by the way fitness comes from the term in greece with the reason why it's called fitness is how the parts fit together and the sacred geometries and uh, proportions create a fit body in which you can do anything so uh, as opposed to some of the other the opposite side of the spectrum where we say the sport will create the body the greeks Remember, they institutionalized weightlifting and gymnastics, wrestling and boxing and track and field since four or five years old. It's institutionalized, specifically Spartans institutionalized. They say if you lift weights and do gymnastics and do track and field and build the body so that it is formed and fits together in the perfect geometries, you can do any sport, you can do any war. That is where the term fitness, how the parts fit together. Well, And so when we explain to mere civilians or people that are not into our things, some people are into money or things, or some people are into, I don't know, pleasure. Pleasure is really not what it's cracked up to be. Um, <laughs> you know, it really isn't. Well, really, no, it, I mean, that's an interesting one because um, I think what happens is, is people start exchanging uh, you know, uh, you know, currency for pleasure. And there's this idea yeah. that, you know, somehow like, you know, the path of excess will lead them to Nirvana, which is, uh, you know, well on said. the road to pleasure. And I think what happens is it becomes hollow. And when you start, oh, trading, sure. you know, and I saw this in the NFL where dudes were, you know, trade money and whatever for sex and this, and this idea of momentary pleasure. And all it did was fucking turn them into the hollow man. And the yeah. hole just became deeper and deeper. And it's yeah. because it had no substance. Like yes, the emotional that the emotional vacancy, the emotional vacant vacancy of that, and, and why we're so look at us, Tex. You're still quite young. Are you still in your thirties? Thirty six. Okay, perfect. Not old, but not young. You're perfect. At thirty six, I was unstoppable. I was still I'm, war fight. You're still unstoppable. And, who yeah. who, who yeah. are you fucking kidding? You can stop. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. Man, I'm I was gnarly. Tex, at at your age. I was in a firefight on a second story building, taking fire. I I considered myself slick. I only had 70 pounds of fighting kit, no ruck. Jumped off, skipped off of a piece of a, of a step, 
to the uh, bottom of the freaking ground. So like two stories, pop, pop, like parkour. Took a knee, rolled, jumped up, fucking return fire. Now I tore my meniscus a little bit, but it did not. It did <laughs> There's not, a chink in the armor. He's telling yeah, us a chink in the armor. It did not flare up till I was 48 years old where I had my first surgery. Mm. Yeah, I, I was unstoppable when I look back then. However, I was not wise. I didn't, I, I didn't appreciate life like I appreciate it now. I, uh, I was very limited in my focus, which was necessary but, for that time. But, but think about yeah, it. To, to, to have perception, you have to have something to lose. And I think yes. in, like, like that's an interesting thing. Like, um, so, uh, you know, I have three great kids and a wonderful wife and a house and power athlete and all the, all the things that we do. So, I, you know, there's like the cup is full. And yes. um, so uh, I just got done doing uh, a week-long motorcycle ride. I don't know if you saw that Ooh. deal with Matt Vincent. So yes. Matt hit me up for this deal with Indian, and we rode from San Francisco all the way down to Joshua Tree. And uh, yeah. I've ridden motorcycles my whole life. And it was weird because as I was riding, I had this interest, interesting moment of clarity that, you know what, I've ridden, you know, 200 miles an hour on my Busa. I've done all this shit, rode rigid choppers and all this crazy shit. And here I am on this big bike, and I had this, like, moment of clarity that I never really had riding a motorcycle. Like, what if something potentially happened? And I realized that like, and, and then it's, it, it, it split me for a second. And then I fucking just put it out of my head because uh, the minute that you start thinking fucking something bad's going to happen, it happens. And so as long as I live to be invincible, I'll be fine. And I, I had that moment of clarity that I've never had doing anything. But I realized until you have something to lose, like there's no perspective, uh, perspective. I mean, you know, you have your wonderful wife, Jade, who's, you know, uh, an angel and like everything good that's you. happening. And here for once in your life, like things are going well and you potentially have something to lose. And I think without, it's changed everything. You're right. It has. Uh, Jade has changed everything. I no longer ride motorcycles for that reason, unless I have to do it for work. And it's a calculated risk because this is how I'm making a living brother. I have, and it, and I'm not, it's not that it's not that I'm a coward. It's just now I know that I have what another 50 years ahead of me. Cause I think I can make it to a hundred, oh, but uh, everyone. Yeah. Everyone is important. Every day is important. Yeah. And and I'm going to be mindful about what I put my life on the line for. You know, this stuff I do with, with SAS is no joke. Um, I'll send you some videos. I had to opt check free falling off a 400 foot cliff with the brake man below to stop me before I hit the ground. Um, the, uh, I, I've got a, I've got, I still got a fucking scar across this tricep from the rope burning through my shirt, burning through my, my arm, hit my wrist, fucking tore up my wrist, and I'm falling, 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 falling. My warrior brother, Royal Marine Commando at the bottom, he lost his leg in, in, in fucking Iraq or Afghanistan. And I was coming down so fast when he pulled the rope, he didn't catch me till I was only about 10 feet off the deck. I'm going to send you the video. And... <laughs> As I was approaching the, bot, the, the, the the deck, I thought this might be it. And if so, I'm glad I got to see Jade and give her a kiss. And, and I hope my life meant something. But I'm not going to, I'm never going to, with a cavalier attitude, ever do anything again. I'm going to be present. I'm going to put my mind and my body, my soul into something. You know, there's new survival shows that have been coming out at me. 
I'm not interested. I'm not interested in doing some survival stuff and and putting myself at risk for somebody's entertainment. I'm not interested anymore. Yeah, you're you like, get I'm what not, I'm saying? Yeah, I'm I'm not a fucking clown. I'm not here to amuse I'm you. I'm not a I'm clown. A, That's yeah. right, brother. And, and and I think a lot of times, and I think. Like, this is the one thing that at least, I mean, dude, uh, like the, like I've known, I mean, I haven't known you fucking decades, but I felt like I've known you a long time. We've had a ton of interactions. It's been almost 10 years, John. It's been almost Fuck. 10 years. Yeah, that's wild. I, time, time goes fast. But the interesting <laughs> thing is, uh, one, I don't think that people can, like, like you said, dude, I don't think they can grasp you. And more importantly, I don't think that they understand, uh, like the authenticity of it. And I think yeah. when, because they can't understand the depth and the authenticity, they just like, I mean, it's, um, I'm sure you've run into this in LA. Like you're, um, you know, like you've probably been around some shady fucking people. And when they the realize time. that you're not a fucking scumbag, they just disappear because they're they constantly, do. you know, it's like in, um, hunt for red October. You remember the pings, you know, where yes. they measure distance. Uh, yes. dude, I talked about all the time. I used to go to places and people would say things and you'd be like, is this a ping? Are you trying to figure out if I'm a fucking scumbag too? Yes. And, uh, when they realize so that you can, are a high moral well, well, character and a good person, that's more right. Importantly, have good energy and and fucking a good That's heart. That's right. They just fucking disappear. That's right. That's right. There's an interesting. It, okay, the industry that I'm in now. What's so absolutely magnificent about it for me is I know Sylvester Stallone. Um, I want to work with Michael Mann. I've got to have dinner with Ridley Scott. These artists and these people and these athletes that have put so much of their soul into making visions that is in, that, that inspire us young men as, and us boys, us boys. And when we are gutting, our, gutting through that, that football practice or I'm gutting through a track practice with hand-me-down shoes that are two sizes too big for me and the kids are making fun of me, but I'm thinking about Rocky Balboa. And at sixth grade, I'm still fucking pushing and beating everybody. In the film business, I these icons, I feel so uh, honored to be around them and, and to want to work in that space. But they are the 1% of 1% of 1% of the industry. Most of the industry uh, attracts people because of uh, narcissistic uh, delusions of grandeur. People want to be stars. See, I've always thought if you want to be a star, go fucking fight for your country or go fucking wrestle or box or play football. If you're a man, if you want to be a star, put your body on the line because simply you wanting to be famous is not good enough, nor has respect in the culture of men and in a culture of human beings. Who throughout history is anybody of consequence um, before the last hundred years became um, special and and became historic because uh, they could just sing and dance? No, you know? they they were either uh, incredible thinkers, incredible warriors, or or Thank incredible you. leaders. And Thank the you. great leaders were, were the great world. I mean, think about, uh, I mean, the story of, you know, I mean, uh, shit, they went and they made one of the greatest movies, the 300, which still, 300. I, I just watched, I just watched it on a fucking plane, on the plane ride uh, back to um, 
back to Austin because I love the movie so much. But the story of Leonid- uh, Leonidas and the you know the three hundred and the Hell's Gate—I uh, mean, like speak about that it all story, the time, dude. That story has has echoed through eternity because of the greatness and the sacrifice. So either great warriors, great thinkers. I mean, we still quote Plato and Aristotle. For I mean, sure. you know, now it's become very Marcus trendy. Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, Marcus, Marcus Aurelius. Aurelius. Uh, I was going to say with the cynics and meditations. I mean, for uh, sure. Like, like these, the greatest thinkers on the planet and the people that are able to challenge the paradigm are the ones that are remembered. Uh, you know, yes. Alexander the Great. I mean, you oh think about gosh. all of, of the, you know, conquered you Genghis, know, Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. Genghis. My favorite. I mean, all of them are my favorite. Why? They all freaking laid it on the line. They freaking, um, they conquered or and, and lost men and lost their lives. They they had to, every one of them, get their own water and, and hunt their own food. Yeah. They had to they had to inspire and and uh, lead men and women and, and their villages and, and or kingdoms in a world that was filled with conquest. To me, that is gravitas. And I expected, because the first project I did in entertainment was Generation Kill about the invasion of Iraq. But weren't thought, you really playing yourself? Like, didn't yeah, you go, I was playing um, myself. For, well, well, for Generation Kill, you showed up as an advisor, and you were trying yes. to advise somebody on how to be Rudy Reyes, and they were like, "Well, that's fucking impossible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just need to play Rudy fucking Reyes." Yeah. I don't I'll know anybody on the planet who could play fucking Rudy Reyes. Yeah, brother. So, so you ready for this? So they did have me come and audition after they decided I got to. They can't find anybody to play me. <laughs> so. A famous actor now, his name's John Huertas. He played uh, uh, Antonio Aspara in the production. He got that role. But uh, he was supposed to play me, or audition to play me. Um, I had already set up uh, field trips to the unit uh, on Pendleton. Uh, uh, we had production watching Indoctrination um, and, and uh, um, water, water um drown proofing and water work and hand-to-hand combat. They got to experience and watch what it takes to be a recon Marine just on one day. Not to mention the freaking months and years it takes after that so that they know what gravitas, what, what importance their job is to represent my unit. So then they decide, holy smokes, man, we need this guy to be this guy. So first time ever in LA drove up from Pendleton and uh, I, <laughs> Okay, it's surreal. So if you've never been in the movie business, you know, these are these are like your heroes and these are like the people that you love to watch and you think they're so awesome and you're just a fan. I just a fan, just like in sports, you're fans. They're, they love you. So I get to the HBO freaking offices um, reserved for Mr. Damon, reserved for Mr. Affleck. And I'm like, wow. And then remember, I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. And and then I start walking uh, up the sidewalk. And my favorite comedy show at the time was Curb Your Enthusiasm. Still one of the best. Right? Uh, uh, um, Larry David. Yeah, Larry David. Larry David. I see a peer, uh, And they didn't have a lot of Priuses back then, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, whatever. This Prius starts driving up. And I see that there's a spot that says for Mr. Larry David. Like, oh my God, it's Larry David. I'm like, hi, I'm your biggest fan. I love you. Oh my gosh, I love you. And Larry David's going, get the fuck out of my parking space. <laughs> fuck you. Get the fuck. And I said, oh, you're playing. Oh, you're playing. 
oh, you're so funny. Uh, and then, and then it, I dawned on me, he's not playing. He's a real fucking asshole. Yeah. And um, you know what? I've, I've had my heart broken and many times in life. I've had to do some hard, cruel things in combat and some hard, cruel things just to survive in the boys' home. And I thought I had some pretty tough skin, some hard bark on me. But, but having my heart open up, looking at somebody that I'd only ever seen on the screen that it was so far removed from that gave me joy when I would come back from war to watch the program and to see somebody that I thought would be so wonderful to be so hurtful. I was like, I was just embarrassed. I like, I just walked, I, I left and I went up the stairs to go audition. And I was like, man, fuck, you know? So I'll never be that guy. I'll never be that guy. And, um, and so I go up there to audition and, yeah, but Rudy, there's some disingenuous bone in your body. I mean, yeah. it's it, it, it's just yeah. the way it is. Like I, I, um, uh, I've seen you give literally give the shirt off of your back to somebody. Yeah, I love and, you. And and uh, you know, like and you know, whenever anybody's ever asked me about Rudy, I'm like, dude, the guy. Like I watch him give somebody the shirt off his back. Like there's not a disingenuous. There's not a bad bone in his body. And if he called me wherever I was in the world, I would help him for because I, I knew he would. would do the same. Absolutely, absolutely. You know? I get up there to, and I have to sign in and I'm kind of really kind of sad. Like, man, we're, I'm in an alien world. And when I was younger, I was uh, really, I was, I was just out of the Marine Corps and I was very fit, very strong that, you know, a very good, a really very unique physique. Right. And I had short hair. I was young, I was handsome. I looked, I guess, like every other actor in LA. Except a different physique, but you know, every yeah. everybody there is just a polished skin suit with a with a spray tan and uh, a gold gym membership. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. None of my muscles came from a from a gym. Came from fucking hard training around the world and fighting. So, uh, but on the outside, I can imagine I look like every other handsome Latino actor. I sign in. Rudy Reyes. And who am I auditioning for? Rudy Reyes. Well, behind me is John Huertas. He's very famous now from This Is Us. And by the way, all my other two stars, I got some stars from there that I'm very close to and so, still very close and treat, uh, to and treat me like old. Alexander Skarsgård, Michael Kelly, and Chance Kelly. These people are now superstars. And they still recall back and, and call me on my birthday and send stuff to me all the time. And we see each other every time we're in New York or London because because I made such a difference in their lives. So John Huertas comes behind me and he's auditioning for me. So he puts down John Huertas and then he's auditioning for Rudy Reyes. And he saw me, you know, and he looked at my name. He said, damn, this motherfucker, he must be method. I mean, he's got to be really into his acting. He even wrote his name down as the character. <laughs> if that doesn't if that doesn't show you how fucking hollow and how cheap that whole fucking world is, then I don't know what else to say. <laughs> wow. So you, so who oh, I who, wonder what acting class he goes to. Dude, Does he but, go to Meisner? So who was the who was the first guy that uh, they actually, because you weren't the first choice for Rudy Reyes. No, I think so it they was hired John, somebody. and it was another guy. I think it was Ray Valentin. I think it was Ray Valentin, both Latino actors. Um, but 
they weren't quite as sweet as me and as hard as me. So, so then they bring you in as like, uh, but they bring you in to, to, you know, to kind of coach them or to be like a, an advisor on it. And then yeah. at some point where they just like, no, this ain't going to work. Rudy, get in there. No, no, they're like, first of all, we don't got 3% body fat. Number two, um, we are not as, we don't have the flair this guy has because we're not as confident as this guy. The only reason why this guy is confident is because he's been through the fire, through horrible, horrible things and, and glorious things. And it, there's no way to fake confidence. That's that's like um, uh, arrogance is the, the falsehood. You know, uh, that's why people are abusive in that way. Confidence only comes from going through the fire and confidence only comes uh, from uh, deep discussions all alone when you're in immense pain, mentally, physically, spiritually, deep conversations with yourself and your God in you not knowing how you're going to be able to last another day. That's where the confidence comes from. So everything else is manicured, brother. I, I, I worked in a, many different productions and um, I've got another great brother. His name's Jai Courtney. I military advised on a picture called Semper Fi and I acted in it as well. Um, acting is a very difficult thing to do well, just like any performance. And there is a lot of skill involved. But the thing that's most difficult is that the business is so, uh, uh, it, it's so, uh, I don't know, it's, 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 at an e it's evil um, because everyone is attacking each other back channel, yet pretending to be friends up front because the competition is so grave. So the business itself turns people into, um, you know, a cross between a zombie and a vampire. It turns them into um, monsters. To navigate that business and not become a monster, uh, it's very rare. Those people that have done that, I consider my friends. I don't have a lot of friends in the entertainment business. And that's another reason why I do it. I do it to represent every freaking kid, boy or girl, that's been thrown away for their, from their family, that every kid that's been poor, every kid that's grown up in a boy's home or, or orphanage, every kid that is made fun of because his teeth are rotten and you can't freaking, and, and you can't afford a dentist. Every kid that grew up in a shitty school with no freaking sports programs, except wrestling and boxing or football, only violent ones because there is no fencing. There is no proper track freaking coach. There is no proper, uh, there is no water polo or swimming. Any kid like that, I want to show them that they can do anything they want to do, that they can be at the top and they can influence and empower people below them. And when I saw how much money the actors and myself was making, I made in seven, seven months or eight months, I made a quarter of a million dollars pretending to go to war. And I fucking fought for this country and invaded fucking two countries and then fought in Fallujah and Ramadi. And I did fucking heavy fucking shit. I had to fucking clean up the blood and the fucking flesh of my brother's arms and his humping after his fucking arms were torn apart from the RPG. After we towed that vehicle back and we have all those fucking Iraqis stacked on our fucking vehicles driving through town. I had to do this shit. And then now I'm making a quarter of a million dollars pretending to go to war. And I'm looking at everybody out there fucking making that money doing this shit. 
that haven't paid no fucking dues. Fuck that. I said, fuck, I'm going to do this from now on and I'm going to show them. That's why I do it. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a weird deal, right? I mean, you know, yeah. these, uh, like it's like, uh, it's, it, it's a weird piece that, uh, you know, this alternate reality that these people get paid to pretend to be somebody else and they get paid fucking exorbitant amounts of money because it's entertainment. And, um, you know, like you said, because of the like, metrics, because well, of the metrics, right? It's, it's really the metrics. It's, the it's easier to sit on the couch and watch other people live these fantastic lives than just to go out and be your own fucking superhero. I mean, that's why for the sure. NFL has so many fans. I mean, dude, the amount of yeah. people that, you know, it's great for them to sit there. And, and dude, we used to, this is a, uh, you know, kind of a similar, but not nearly as fucking, mm-hmm. you know, in depth. But what it was amazing was during TV timeouts, uh, we would sit and just watch in the crowd and watch people get in fights. And these people would just wow. get in fights and kick the shit really? out of each other. Yeah. Why? You know, you're wearing a Steelers fan. Uh, I'm an Eagles okay. fan. And these people would get in fights. And uh, all of our friends are on the other team. And like these yeah. fans are fucking killing each other for over a game for a bunch of dudes that are just sitting there who are friends. So it was like, uh, like it, it's the same the level of confusion. And the tribal and through um, the, the um, um, when you're living vicariously yep. through, and remember ancient times from the Colosseum, um, men and women and children would put their hearts onto their favorite gladiators. Yeah. This is, of course, it's part of our human culture, specifically since we've been through uh, cultivated city states but now we have a i'm a fan of athletics you know every team i see when they're doing awesome stuff i love them every fighter every team mostly my sports are uh, combat sports but i watch football and now i watch rugby i love all teams that are doing amazing things because i i recognize the excellence and the commitment um i would never associate me with a group that I am not a part of so that I don't know what kind of character these human beings have. But our culture now, it's, I think it's tapping into a primal need of connection and community, which is beautiful. Remember my Kansas city chiefs are fucking rocking right now. And Kansas city is always so happy when the chiefs are doing well. Everyone's so happy Uh, when we have special fans, but, but that, and that is a, a thing, a human need, isn't it? It, it is a, a human need to have community. It seems though our sports, especially with their bright colors and their amazing athletes, they make it very easy to associate and connect, except um, have not, no skin in the cane. Well, like with the acting thing, and this has always been uh, like... I mean, I uh, like no part of acting like um, I'm, and, and I appreciate it. like I like to see movies. Uh, we started watching a bunch of historical biography stuff or sorry, <laughs> historical like period stuff on Netflix, which I, I dig more. But yes, uh, I've never looked at it and been like, man, I want to do that. It just looks so fucking hollow. And the amount of like bodies that you have to stack over to even get to the position. It's absolutely right. Absolutely right. It is a it is a uh, Machiavellian. Um, enterprise and it is a Faustian bargain with the fucking devil itself and I refuse look brother I've made it this far and never once sold the fuck out did it take 10-12 years yeah but I didn't sold out sell out my friend Marcel Rodriguez Robert Rodriguez is cinematographer my dear brother you might have even met him because he 
he comes around me every chance he can. He's my dear brother. When I was in the mental institution, he was the only person of the entire entertainment business that came to see me. And when I was in San Diego, he said, uh, I was just with him a couple of weeks ago. He said, Rudy, this is just the beginning. But movies and all that, you know why it's not for you? Why, why it's not for you? And I said, well, why? And he says, well, because there's no fucking character out there that's more interesting than you are. Why would you play anybody else? Why would you play anybody else? So he said, the SAS and things like this is perfect for you because why would you play anybody else? Um, but, you know, so, you know, I'm starting to mature in this way. And, and remember, I grew up with some great filmmakers when I was a little boy and I saw Miami Vice. And Michael Mann is my favorite American, maybe my favorite director of all time and filmmaker and writer. And then I see and then I took my little brothers to go see Last of the Mohicans when I was 18. I just got a boy's home and we watched Last of the Mohicans three times. And and then the music that, that, mm. um, that Michael Mann paints with music, with vision, with light. I remember watching Manhunter in 86, the first film with Hannibal Lecter. Michael Mann's vision as an artist. And also, by the way, he studied Japanese swordsmanship, very influenced by the Japanese, came from Chicago, working class in the streets, made himself somebody. Dude, because, the, the last scene in, 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 the, in, in the last of the Mohicans, when uh, when Hawkeye and them and the, um, uh, you know, they, yeah, they take off and then he kills his son as he's going forward oh, and then the old oh man fucking splits him oh. and, and the music plays the entire hair, time hair like, hair like goosebumps. Up. Hair sticking up right yeah. now. And they're showing, um, and you know, that's Russell Means, by the way, his dad. Yeah. An American Indian activist that fought and took over um, Alcatraz in the late, in the early 70s. Oh, I did not uh, know that. In, an insurrection to take Alcatraz as native land. That's yeah. his dad, Russell Means. And he's running to see Uncas, and Uncas is fighting Magua. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dagger and Tomahawk, remember? Yeah. And he and kills Magua him. was hooking him up and slicing. Oh, slicing. And then they're just both standing there, and Uncas's blood is pouring out. Yeah. And then he gets him, turns him around into the kidney and then under his neck. And all you see is the blood spray onto West Studi's face yep. and throw him off. And as he falls, slow motion cut to. Yep. Yeah, and the music is playing him. the whole time. So all you can yeah. do is see their faces. Yeah, it was unreal. Oh, oh I, my little brothers and I were transfixed. And, um, and, and, you know, just everything about it. I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis? Yes. Like, it, I mean, uh, like, everything he's in is the best. Like, I, everything. I, like, I mean, from, uh, um, you know, Gangs, Gangs of New York. York, which is still my favorite. I oh, God, I love that movie. My Left Foot. I just turned Jade onto My Left Foot, if you've not seen it. He won his first Oscar for Best Actor by playing um, um, Mark Christie, uh, a painter and, and, uh, uh, and writer who could only use his left foot yeah. and he grew up very poor in England. And uh, because Daniel Day-Lewis refused to be out of character when on set, he moved around just like he did. And he kept going up and down those stairs. He broke three ribs. Mm -hmm. He continued shooting and he made an impressive piece of work, an impressive yeah. piece of artwork. And, and so that's what, I, you know, I've seen these things because think about this kid, myself, my little brothers, and probably because I'm the oldest, you know, I, I was just more aware in the late 70s and early 80s, mid 80s, more aware. You could see cinema um, 
on VHS. You could watch uh, in the boys' home on Sundays. We'd see cinema. I saw The Emerald Forest as well. I, I saw The Mission. The Mission with freaking Robert De Niro, the Conquistador. Uh, uh, Emerald Forest is still one of my favorite Uh-oh. movies. Like, so, uh, like at the yes. end when the boy doesn't go with his. Uh, uh, it was yes. in um, uh, was it a Powers Sky- yeah. That's uh, right. He- yeah, Remember, and, he called him Dade, Dade, because yeah, in his dead, mind, and he won't go dead with him. Yeah, I know, brother. Yeah. But dude, go the ahead. thing that uh, was so gripping in that movie was, tell you know, me, like, uh, like you know, the, all like from like the point of view of this kid who was, you know, uh, obviously taken by these people, and he's raised as yes. one of them. And when he sees the modern yes. world and and all the death and the fucking destruction, wants no part of it, and, 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 and wants the simplicity of living in the forest as a you know as a native. I mean, to Absolutely. like that was so impactful how even as a kid. Of, John, how ahead of how, how ahead of its time or of the times? Nobody really was clocking it. They were taking all the Indian women and using them sexually, trafficking. Yeah. Remember at the end. Yeah. And as we know now, as I know around the world, what I've been doing with counter terror, counter poaching, and then turned into counter trafficking and. And the count and trafficking human beings, and especially for the sex it's, trade, uh, it's fucking disgusting. And um, so that's I, what this, I, this, yeah. I, I have dreamt that, uh, like I would always say that at some point there needs to be like a Punisher initiative, yes. where you just go collect a whole bunch of people that are like the Punisher, like yourself, and I'm sure a bunch of other yes. fucking nefarious individuals, and they yes. get highly funded by somebody rich who just goes out and allows them to go out and uh, do what the Punisher does, which is you know fucking punishing people that. Evil. Yeah, eradicate and, I mean, evil, because brother. the trafficking of women and children, like for sex, is the fucking ultimate level of evil. It is. It is, brother. It is. I, I got to watch, and, and and you know, I'm reading X Men. Like like you know, I have my comics. I, I've got my comics right here. Like um, here, let me see. Like I, oh, this is one of my favorites. His name is Frank Quietly, and Mark M- Miller. Um, he's the writer, but his artwork. His artwork is just so incredible and his panel work, how he does fight scenes and, and, and his figures. I mean, think about how old this plays in to a young, a young boy seeing magnificent freaking super powered figures, perfect muscular bodies that can do immense things that, that, that have honor that rules their lives, that they can transcend their circumstance because they fight for good. So I'm reading comics. I, I'm watching uh, the Emerald Forest and the mission when Robert De Niro with, uh, becomes a missionary because he was a conquistador and was a slave trader. And then when Spain says, "Well, you're gonna, we're gonna go ahead and, and conquer all of these Indians, even if they're Christian." So even though that you've converted them to Christianity, they're still gonna be freaking slaves and whores, and we're taking them. And De Niro goes back down to get his armor and his weapons, and he teaches the kids to repel the enemy assault. These things affect a child and a teenager that has this, that struggles with the, with circumstance. I had no mother. I had no, no father. I was very abused as a kid. They gave me the vision to be more than my traumas or my scars. That is why physical culture to me means so fucking much. This is why all of us muscle heads were so into it because this is a way that we can create as a sculptor creates with clay or a painter with, 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 uh, with paint, we can create a artwork and a vision that comes from us. 
And we put the blood, sweat, and tears into it, and nothing can stop us from doing it. Not social class, not race, not sex, not age. We can take charge of that freaking, that art project. You know what I'm saying? That's why I love it, Rush. No, well, I mean, um, it's kind of an interesting idea that, uh, you know, like you think about like the influences. And uh, I remember years ago that there was a, a pretty interesting study that they had that it was actually better for a child to grow up without a father if the mother painted uh, the picture that like the father was a hero. So they, it was kind of a deal oh. where like, you know, they found uh, and I, like it was an interesting study in psychology I read. Uh, but what they had found was that these women, um, instead of telling their kids the truth that their father was a you know piece of shit and left them, was like your father went off to the war and he for was a straight weird hero yeah. Yeah, and, and left. And those kids grew up emulating their father. Uh, so it was more beneficial for them to grow up with a positive image of something greater than themselves to attain than to actually have two parents in the home where the father was a fucking drunk or a shithead or whatever. And so like yeah. the idea of like – like yeah. living up to something bigger than yourself. I, I, and you know what? In, in the reality that you created within the, uh, you know, the boys home and the orphanage was one of like, yeah. you know, this is, this is my reality. These are superheroes and I'm going to turn myself into a superhero. And dude, That's uh, right. Rudy, it, uh, uh, probably the most, um, uh, like unbelievably, uh, selfless and endearing thing that, uh, uh, fucking broke my heart and made me fall in love with you was, uh, when you told uh, me that, you know, the things that you did were to protect your brothers and uh, to make sure they were safe and that they would never go hungry when you would go hungry. And if something bad or you were going to take a beat, you were going to take it for them so that they were yeah. safe. And like, yeah, dude, when you told was, me that, man, like I um, dude, uh, like that was yeah. by far one of the most endearing and heartbreaking Thanks. things that I, I've ever heard. And um, at, at that point, dude, like uh, like every child, dude, like, you know, I become defensive for you. And that was that, yes. that was fucking amazing. You know, my little brother, Michael and Caesar, I taught them. I, I would read my Frank Miller comics, uh, Electra and, um, and Daredevil, Daredevil and and then all the X-Men and Spidey. And they were younger than me. And so um, I would read them and read comics to them and show them the pictures. And I would tell them that they're that these are stories about them and they're, they're our uncles and those are our cousins and they're out there fighting crime. So we have to train so we can fight crime too. Cause they're, because they need us on the team. And I didn't even know about, you know, programs and training protocols or freaking try basic training, but I uh, took us to the park every day. I had no, there was no parents and we did pull-ups and dips and, and we did gym, gymnastics self-taught. And some days we had nothing to eat. So another reason why I learned to draw and, and create is I would sell drawings um, and portraits at school just for quarters so that I could buy some food to take home. So we never ate during the day. And then I could bring home uh, food. And it was just junk food, but I had no access. Um, I, I just, you know, I, you know, I was the oldest, so I was abused and hurt horribly. And it, in some ways, it's ma it made me who I am. Uh, I I was I was physically and sexually abused by an uncle, and after I was hurt and I was I felt a pit of of of, of fear and and some kind of black hole inside of me and a sickness in my stomach that did not go away for three years. Uh, my first 
instinct was to get up and, you know, we, we were very poor. So my brothers and I slept on the floor. I mean, for set, for predators and child predators, poor children are very, very easy targets. I took my two little brothers and woke them up and in the cover of darkness, and I moved them to a little corner coffee table and I moved whatever was out uh, underneath that coffee table. And I put them underneath in a coffee table in the corner and I had them sleep there while I laid on the outside. And when I think about being brave and I think about courage, people imagine that it's just war, kickboxing and things like that. And I really think about it as a young 11 year old, that's courage. That is fucking courage. And no wonder I ended up the way I had. I had some hard, hard times, but no wonder I never gave up. Uh, as uh, I'll, I'll tell you, dude, um, as a, as a, you know, as a husband having children, like, uh, like the, the thought of people hurting kids, like, yeah. ah, fuck dude. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, dude, one of my other favorite moments for Rudy was, um, after we did the podcast, we stopped by and we saw Kate and Cashy and, uh, we come in and, and, uh, Rudy sees Cash and he was probably about a year and a half. So he was just, he was walking, kind of moving. And I look over and Rudy's Mesomorph. basically, Mesomorph. <laughs> yeah, he, like all of a sudden we look over and Rudy's laying on the floor, wrestling with cash, laughing yeah. hysterically. And Cashy was uh, over the moon. And, oh, um, what, and like, how my big wife is he now? Like, uh, he's, he's, oh man. Yeah. He's, Lots dude, of meal. He's, yeah. He's six. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, my no, gosh. He, uh, yeah, he's, it's great. Yeah. No, Rudy, I'm, uh, Man, I, I am forever grateful for our friendship and getting to meet you and, um, you know, just having your life and dude, and I'm such a fan and, uh, you, you know, ev like every Thank success you. that you have, like, I feel like, uh, you know, that, uh, like I, I feel pride in your success and like to see you kicking ass, like to, you know, like, uh, I realized long ago that, uh, I'm a friend of human or I'm, I'm a fan of humanity, but I'm a yeah. fan, I'm a fan of humanity for my friends because there's a lot of people I'm not a fan of. Yeah, so like, yeah. you, you know, there's people that are just fans of humans. They want to see this. Like, I want to see, uh, I want to see my friends who I think are the greatest individuals on the planet stand on the biggest stage and be the most successful and, and, you know, and garner, you know, the most success they can. And dude, to see you on this show and to see you kicking ass, I'm fucking stoked. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you so much. You know, um, since I started force blue, that was my, you remember we were at summer strong, seven years ago, six years ago. And I just finished my first force blue mission and I had like a DVD or something. I brought all of my inner circle to the other room, you know, where the offices are and they had that screen. I said, fellas, fellas, okay, everybody be quiet. We're all drinking. So everybody be quiet. This is my force. This is force blue. It was like five minutes long showing my first class where I rebuild coral reefs and doing ocean conservation with commandos. Well, now we are sponsored by the NFL. Now we are sponsored by the NFL players association. Now we are sponsored by Pepsi. Now my team is 45 uh, strong and growing exponentially, putting warriors to work, um, doing the most uh, important and the most honorable fight that they can fight for, which is the planet and a legacy for our children. Uh, after a few years of developing myself and getting myself together and getting myself cleaned up off of hard drugs and drinking so much, uh, then I met Jade four years ago and things just kept snowballing and becoming quantum and quantum. And uh, when everything seemed falling apart with COVID, I had two television shows at that time. Everything got canceled because nobody was working. That's when the UK called, brother. And it's only the beginning. And I feel also to give my love and my honor and my 
uh, undying uh, thanks and love to those men and women in our family of strength that have always been there for me and always saw that I was a shining star inside, regardless if anyone else knew. Yeah, yeah, your support has meant the world to me. Um, and, and this is just the beginning for all of us. No, man, I'm excited, I, dude. I do want to make a comment that you shared, Rudy, about the 2017 presentation that we have up on YouTube. Yeah. That it's, it's found its footing over in the UK. So some people are still bringing it up yes, to you when you travel. True. They're going nuts in the UK <laughs> for this, bro. And, and Oh, my gosh. Wait a second. So I created a little crew called the Swole Patrol. So my off-brand camera crew out there in Jordan, I did two seasons. I was out there for two months. We thrashed and we trained and they were all about it. I taught them how to use kettlebells. I told them, uh, I taught them Tabata. I did all kinds of badass stuff. We called ourselves the Swole Patrol and Jordanian Swag District. They started watching videos. I turned them on to Summer Strong and Power Athlete. They started following you guys. If you guys are seeing some Brits following your stuff, it's all because of my crew, my Swole Patrol in the UK, and I'll be seeing them very soon again. Awesome. Well, I hope they tune in. Yeah, dude. Uh, well, dude, hey, man. Uh, like, dude, I know you when, when you go into, uh, you know, these places and I know you go deep, dude. Uh, dude, just love to hear from you. If I can reach out any way you can. And, man, dude, we're such a fan and we're kicking ass. Okay, I will. I love you all, brothers. I love you, brother. And you know what we say? If you if you can't stay safe, stay deadly. We'll <laughs> <laughs> end it there. Sure. Yeah, cool. brother. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Power Athlete Radio with the magical Rudy Reyes. Thank, Thank you. you I love you all. See you, I'll brother. talk very soon. I'll talk very soon, brothers. See you. Fantastic. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can find Rudy Reyes on Instagram at RealRudyReyes. And don't forget to check out his show, SAS Who Dares Wins. Until next time, bye!